side. Would you raise your hand in the balcony or on the main floor and uh, these gentlemen will get you what you need there. Just keep it up and that'll give you a way to keep up with the, uh, the notes and the message and, and be a help to you as we get a new series started off <clears throat> this morning. Somewhat of a serious message actually. And if you notice on the screen, strengthen your foundation. And that's what we're going to be talking about uh, over the next a couple of weeks, three weeks or so. But we're going to begin with a message that asks a question. And the question is, what do we do in times like these? It's a great question. It's actually a biblical question. We'll find it just just a moment. But what do we do? You know, it's amazing the different answers that you get when you ask that question, even amongst believers. The reason why that song was so appropriate is as I, as I converse with the landscape of Christianity and even talk to different denominations, different people on the same side of the fence as far as believing in Jesus, you get different answers. There does not seem to be a common consensus among Christians as to what we should do in times like these. Most seem to be kind of caught in the middle. You know, even with this presidential election coming up. Uh, By the way, I encourage everyone to vote. I mean, we have a responsibility, especially as Christians, to vote. uh, It's somewhat shocking to think that any believer would stay away from 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 the voting booth in this Uh, day and age that we live in, we ought to vote. And yet, we see believers who would differ even when it comes to politics, when it comes to the answer to this question. What do we do? I was listening this week. My wife and I uh, were traveling this week, and I I had a little downtime to listen to some of my favorite broadcasters. I'm a big fan of Mike and Mike on ESPN Radio. Has anybody ever heard of Mike and Mike? Raise your hand if you've heard it. All right, we got some Mike and Mike fans out there. These guys are pretty popular. They got a lot of uh, a lot of folks that watch them and listen to them. And so I was listening to Mike and Mike. This was, uh, of course, this has been a an incredible week in our nation. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. And uh, as a result of that, there's 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 been a lot of talk on the radio and even on sports radio. As I turned on. To listen to Mike and Mike, I heard the introduction to the program I thought was applicable to an introduction to my message. So listen to their response to what's happening and, and, and kind of what they walked away, how they how they walked away feeling about it. All right, listen to this. I thought, Golik, with all the things that are going on, we try and open this morning with sort of a funny story yeah, yeah. and try and start your day with a smile on your face, understanding, of course, perfectly that there are so many issues going on out there that just are as far from funny as anything. They, they, they really are, and, and we certainly talked a lot about it over the last few weeks on the show, and yet we see more instances of things going on, not, not to mention, uh, you know, the thoughts out as well, at least 138 killed in North Korea and flooding. I mean, it's just, you just read, unfortunately... More horrible news after more horrible news, and, and it just, I sit at home, you know I have the TV on CNN a lot, and just, you see some of that along with a lot of the presidential stuff, and you just, you really do, you just kind of kind of shake your head and, and hope there's an answer, especially for things going on here of the last shootings that have gone on, uh, that, that, have, that have made the news, and you just keep trying to find answers, and unfortunately, these bad things just, just keep happening. 
more horrible news after more horrible news. This is not a Christian. This is not a pastor. This is just somebody on radio every day of his life for about three hours, four hours, shaking your head, just kind of wondering what is going on. This is crazy. Is there any hope? Are there any answers? Unfortunately, there don't seem to be any answers. This is, this is his viewpoint. This is where he's at. This is what he's thinking right now in times like these. There's been a lot to process, hasn't there, over the past several years. You think about Bruce Jenner. I was, you know, when that whole thing happened, you know, I, I mean, I, that was, I, I remember the Olympics in 76. I remember watching this, you know, unbelievable athlete win the most incredible competition that there is in the Olympics, the decathlon, and being claimed, you know, the greatest athlete in the world. And in my lifetime, I've lived long enough to see what's happened there. And then to watch him be given an award on the ESPYs as the most courageous person. More than anybody in the military, more than anybody who has laid down their life for our country, a man who now says he's a woman, is courageous. Hard to process. Then you begin to think about our Supreme Court approving same-sex marriage, the transgender bathroom issue. I I can't even go there in my mind. I can't figure out how that makes any sense. doesn't make any sense to me. So what do you do in times like these? I'm thinking about my family. I'm thinking about my children. I've had a lot of time to think when you're out of the pulpit one week that's dangerous for a preacher. He's got way too much time to think. I'm thinking about, now that I'm a grandfather, my children's children. I'm thinking about our church and following Jesus Christ going into 2017 with just 13 Sundays left in this year. What direction will we take in 2017 in following Jesus Christ? It's a different world to follow Jesus Christ than it was in 1992 when we first started. It wasn't great then. It wasn't easy then. When I think about what my grandkids are going to have to face growing up in this culture, the depths of evil into which our culture is sinking, the disregard for the sanctity of life, people are asking, what is happening? People are shaking their heads because of one horrible incident, Mike, after another. And so the statement that I want to begin with is this. That the crises of life are a way of revealing something that's been happening for a very long time. You see, what's happened this week in Minnesota and in Charlotte... And in a Washington mall is very recent. It's one week of news. The danger of becoming numb to it, the danger of just sort of kind of walking through life at this point, thinking as we watch these Fox News alerts, well, there's just another Fox News alert of another thing that's happened again and again and again. The danger is thinking that all of a sudden this is happening when the fact of the matter is, No, no, this is just revealing what's been happening over a long period of time. We're shocked, sure. Can't help but to be shocked sometimes by the news we hear, but actually, but actually, 
what is taking place in our country is something that's been happening slowly and incrementally over a very long period of time. The headlines grab our attention, no doubt about it. It's like, whoa. But if we think about it, these things have been happening for a very, very long time. So here is the question. I'm asking this morning, what are we supposed to do? I'm laying a foundation for a, a short series of messages as we enter into a very happy season of the year, Thanksgiving and Christmas, our, our Christmas program that Jason mentioned a moment ago. We're actually recruiting now for that great musical, King of Kings, and we're excited about what God is going to do with that. We're looking into a joyous end of the year, and we want to make it that way at Gospel Light. But as I begin to lay a foundation for some things I think we need to think about as we enter into 2017, I'm asking you to ask yourself that question, what are we supposed to do? Because there's a lot of different opinions and thoughts, even amongst Christians. Now, where do we find the answer to that question? A lot of places people are looking. Obviously, Mike and Mike aren't looking in the right place because they, they don't think there's any answers. There's no hope. You know, just, unfortunately, there's just no answers. But I beg to differ. I think there are some answers, and I think those answers can be found in God's Word. And I also feel as if these questions that are being asked this morning are questions that have been asked for a very long time. In fact, in Psalms chapter 11, in our text in your notes today, I've actually put that psalm since it was so small. And I want you to notice here in Psalm 11, it begins with saying, In the Lord put I my trust. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul? Flee as a bird to your mountain. For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They, they make ready their arrow upon the string that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what are we supposed to do? The title of my message is a question asked in Scripture. This is nothing new. This is something that's been asked for thousands of years, by, or, or several thousand years. David asked the question here in this psalm, what are we supposed to do? The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, His eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked... And him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire, brimstone, a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. So in this passage, we have the answer to the question, with everything happening in our culture, what are we supposed to do? Now, to begin, I have one main point, and I'm going to build on that main point, but I have one main point in answer to the rhetorical question in verse number three. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And here's the principle. That in times of moral decline, or as in a moment we're going to see, in a time of great Christian persecution, strengthen your foundation in the Lord. Now that's the thought. That's the principle. 
I've got a lot to say about that over the next couple of weeks, but that's the thought. If the foundations be destroyed, what do we do? The principle is this. In times of moral decline, in times of Christian persecution, we are to strengthen our foundations in the Lord. So let's start with those two very obvious things that I don't think anybody would disagree with me on, but I'm going to go ahead and ask the question anyway, and this is the only time I'll ask for audience participation, and that is this. Two questions. Question number one, would you say with me that we are in times of great moral decline? Would you agree with that? Would you also agree with me, and I appreciate your participation if you're awake. Uh, I I won't bug you too much, but it helps me just a little bit. Uh, Number two, would you agree with me that it seems as if we are in times of, of Christian persecution at a high rate all around the world? We sure are. And I want to introduce you to a few of those situations as a matter of a small amount of research. I was unfortunate not to be able to do as much as I would have liked to, but just to discuss this for a moment as a church family... First of all, our country is immensely more immoral than it was even back in the year 2000. And it was rough then. But you take just just this news here. Ashley Madison. Fortunately, I'm I'm not too familiar with this until I did a little research and found that uh, the depths of evil to which our country has gone uh, and to which our world has gone has produced a website, a Canadian-based website, uh, online dating service, a social marketing site that, that markets people who are married. And here is their slogan. Life is short, have an affair. There are 50 million members to this website. 50 million people have joined. In fact, you know, <clears throat> this, my wife's right here so she can hear every word I said. We just got back from a couple's retreat like our fourth or fifth one this year. We have several more that we're being scheduled for. And by the way, we're, we're not doing these out of the strength of our marriage. We're doing it really honestly out of the weakness of our flesh and ourselves, realizing that only by a strong foundation in Jesus Christ do we even have a marriage. It is not because of us. It is not because we are good at this thing. We are not good at it. We struggle. We have flesh just like any other couple. And just this week as we traveled together and, and did this couple's retreat and ministered to a number of couples, we heard in just the last several weeks of two very strong pastors of churches that are 10 to 20 times the size of our church who have had moral failures in their marriage. If you were to look at on the site, if you could, if I could, I know there was a, some kind of hacker a couple of years ago that I guess kind of got into that site and names were slung all over the the world, you know, that, that people who had registered, and, and I understand that thousands of them were pastors. And the, it's the 18th most popular adult site in the world. Over 124 million people visit the site every single month, seeking an opportunity to break their marriage vows. I want you to listen to me. Adultery destroys marriages. Sometimes grace can prevail. I've seen it happen. Rarely. When there's been, oftentimes I sense it, and I'm no, I'm no expert on this, but when it's a, seems like when it's a, as sad as this is, when it's a short-lived affair or if it's the first one, it seems that grace has a greater chance of prevailing in some of those instances. But even then, it's a shattered relationship. And there's trouble and struggle 
and things they have to deal with the rest of their lives. Statement. The capacity of the internet to absolutely shred people's lives is immense. I don't know any other way of saying it, but that. The word shred is not too hard a word. It's a, I think it's probably too soft a word. The truth of the matter is, is, is at the fingertips of everybody in this room, including your little small children, is more wickedness and evil and immorality than has ever been known in the history of mankind. And it is shredding people's lives. The growth of online pornography itself is staggering. It's now over $3 billion industry. The book Fifty Shades of Grey now is the top 10 selling books of all time. Human trafficking is the fastest growing criminal industry in the world. There's so much of it going on all around our world today. Children being kidnapped and sold into sex slavery by the thousands. It's almost as if we hear it and it's like, wow, again, and we just move on. All of this sewage begs this question. What are we supposed to do? Now, let me remind you that you live in this era. A sovereign God has chose you to be born in this time. You are not an accident. This is not a mistake. God chose us in this room to be living in days and times like these. Second question is that persecution amongst Christians around the world is on the rise. More Christians are being slaughtered today for their faith. ISIS is beheading Christians in the Middle East and Africa every week by the dozens. Some of them are talked about on the media. Others are not. doesn't take very much research at all to see there is an incredible rise of persecution amongst Christians. Not Buddhists, not Muslims. They're on the same team. Every other, every other false religion that serves some of the God other than, and I'm saying this as strongly as possible, with bullets flying. And I have no fear at all. There is only one true and living God. There is only one way to heaven. His name is Jesus Christ. And there is no other. None. Zero. Fortunately, that's very easy to say at Gospel Life this morning. But it's not so easy around the world. These are hard times. I asked God to help me to find one person that we could pray for this morning. And I found one. Her name is Susan. I'm going to let somebody else tell you her story. Just listen. A little unusual message. I don't normally have three different little spots where I stop. So if you're new to the church, I'm, I have different... Methods, I guess, I use when I speak, but this morning I'm asking others to assist me. So listen to a short video as we hear a story of a 14, 15-year-old girl named Susan. Listen to her story about not denouncing the name of Jesus. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. 
hallowed be thy name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. There's power in the name of Jesus. Take the third commandment, for example. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. For years, I simply thought that meant not swearing or cursing using the Lord's name, but I stumbled across a simple but incredible realization. Because a more literal translation of that commandment actually reads, You shall not use the name of Yahweh for worthlessness. You shall not use the name of Yahweh casually, complacently, without respect, without value. It's the moment in time I realized that I actually break this commandment all the time. And more often than not, I break it at church. How much value, how much worth do you place on the name of Jesus? As I thought through this, it reminded me of a girl called Susan from Uganda. She's 14 years old and from a strictly Islamic family. One day a visiting speaker came to her school. He spoke about this guy called Jesus who claimed he was a son of God and had come to save the world. And right there, Susan decided to give her life to Jesus. When she got home, her father found out and he was furious. In fact, on one occasion in broad daylight, he grabbed Susan and her younger brother and dragged them outside. He held a knife to their throat and said, Susan, if you do not stop going to church and worshiping God, I will kill you and your brother. But Susan didn't stop. Her father grabbed her. He took her to a room in their house and placed a mat on the floor. He told Susan to sit on that mat and do not move until you are willing to deny Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Her father turned around, walked out of the room and locked the door. Susan's father didn't return to that room for three months. The only way Susan survived was that while her father was out, her brother would dig a hole under the door. He would pour water into it for Susan to lap up. On occasion, he would fry up some banana and slide that under the door to his sister. After about three months, the neighbours began to wonder where Susan was and they asked her brother. He told them and they immediately called the police. When they came, they opened the door and they found Susan. She was sitting on the mat. She was alive, but only just. You see, the bones in her legs had begun to grow and conform to the way she'd been sitting. And she weighed 20 kilos. They grabbed her and rushed her to hospital where they began to rehabilitate her. When Susan was asked why she hadn't tried to escape, why she hadn't even left the mat, without missing a beat, she replied, because my father said, if I was to leave that mat, I would be denying Jesus. And I couldn't do that. Worthlessness. It never even seemed to cross her mind, did it? This is exactly what the third commandment is about. A faith 
driven by a passion for God that realizes not only to be in relationship with Him, but to be able to call on His name is among the most sacred privileges we have as Christians. A privilege the world can't conceive and a privilege that we so often take for granted. You shall not use the name of Yahweh for worthlessness. Susan wouldn't. Do you? I cannot leave Jesus. I decided not to leave him because he has given me eternal life. And even if I died there, I was sure that I would go to him. Wow. Susan. What if she were sitting here? Would anybody question her devotion to her God? This is all over the world today. The world we live in. So let's pray for Susan. Father, we come before you today. Lord, we picked one out in the world that's been persecuted, just one. And we lift her up to you today, God. We ask you, Father, to, Lord, give her strength, continue to give her good health and healing health. And we thank you that she's been rescued from this environment. And Lord, though we do not know all the details, we do know her name and her story. And we would ask God that Lord, you would bring her family to Christ like you've brought her to, to you. That, Father, you would, Lord, soften their hearts and that you would use Susan to be a great, great evangelist where she lives. Thank you for what, Lord, she has meant to us this morning. We pray for per the persecuted church all around our world today. God, we believe that our church and our country is coming under that same type of persecution. And though many in this room would like to deny it, and turn their heads and bury their heads in the sand and flee to the mountains and isolate themselves. The truth is, we cannot deny that we're starting to feel that even in our own country. So, Father, today we pray for courage. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to strengthen our foundation in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now to the text. Let's go to the text. Verse number one of Psalm 11. With what time I have left. In the Lord, David said. David said, in the Lord put I my trust. Now, why did David say that? Well, first of all, David said that because he was under and in a crisis at this time. We're not sure we can identify exactly what that crisis was. Uh, we know there were, uh, there was a, uh, Obviously, Saul was chasing David, and that was a very uh, chaotic time in his life and fearful time in his life. There was David in the story of Goliath. There were numerous other stories where David was in a cave and in trouble. We're not sure we can identify exactly what the crisis was. We just know he was in a crisis when he said, In the Lord put I my trust. And then he says, How say ye to my soul? Interesting statement. It's almost as if David is saying uh, in the third person, how do you say this to me? Who is he speaking about? Well, you know, I'm thinking, well, maybe uh, it could be like a Job situation. Remember Job? He had those three so-called friends. <laughs> Remember that? 
And these guys said some things to him that weren't very kind. They called themselves friends, but they spoke to him in a very negative way. We find today, the more committed we are to Christ, sometimes not everybody is excited about that. Even in our own families, sometimes even in, 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 in our church. Uh, sometimes in, in the community in which we live, not everyone seems to be cheering us on as we, as we love God and stand for what we believe to be true. And he... He says, how say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? Now, now, before we answer the question, what are we supposed to do? Let's identify what we are not supposed to do. Because the very first thing I see here in this story is that we are not supposed to run and hide. Where, wherefore, say to my soul, flee as a bird, run, hide. Isolate yourselves. In the Christian church today, that's what I feel many of us have done. We have found this little safe haven called the church, this little cave called the church. And we have our clothes we wear, our music we listen to. At least this is the way it used to be for us. And we have our our Christian school to hide our kids in. And I'm for the Christian school and have my kids here by, by conviction personally. And we all have a decision to make about that. that that's not the point at all. In fact, I, I more support parents' decisions than I ever had before in my life. I'm saying this morning, if anything, those of us who have our kids in a Christian school need to be careful that we're not isolating our kids and hiding our kids. Just like I say to those of you who are in the public school, be careful that you're not overexposing your kids. There's a balance. That's not the sermon. The sermon is to say this, we are not to run and hide. There's a whole lot the scripture says about this, but here David is, he's addressing this. He's bringing this to our attention. Are you fleeing? Are you hiding your faith? I don't think that's what we're supposed to do. Recently, our church produced a movie. It was called Renegades. And our, my son produced it. Micah was the, uh, uh, the, the film, uh, I always say it wrong, the film director, I think. Mo wrote the script. Joe and Jordan wrote the theme song. It was called Renegades. It was about a group of Christians that were running and hiding. It's an end times film. It began with Christianity being outlawed and punished by death. And so this group of people were running, and then all of a sudden, some of the group began to get killed and die. And I want to show you one scene from the movie. It's about three minutes. And this scene comes in a room where they have just experienced some of their little Christian group. They've, they've seen them die. They were running, hiding, trying to get away. And now they're sitting in this room trying to figure out what should they do? What do we do? Listen. Well, Chris, what's next? I don't know, man. Look, guys, what Tom and Jay did back there was heroic. Jay was right. We sat by the fire too long. We need to, I don't know, live out loud. What is it, babe? Guys, I have an idea. All right, Vince, how 
familiar are you with the radio? I mean, I'm kind of familiar, you know, especially when my girl Adelaide comes on. You mean Adele? That's what I said. Anyway, why? Isn't there an emergency broadcast that goes on like every night at 8? Yes, that is a top-of-the-line secure government system for only emergencies. It's almost but impossible for most hackers. So what you're saying is you can, you can do it? <laughs> yeah. Chris, what are you thinking? Well, I believe that there are more Christians out there just like us, in hiding, waiting for something to happen, not doing anything. And if there was a way that we could reach out to them... Maybe make a record. Do you still have that recorder? Yeah. Can you can you get it? Oh yeah. If we could make a recording and then send it out on this emergency broadcast signal, I know exactly a dish that we can use. And where exactly do you suppose we'll find this dish? Well, it's on top of an old abandoned radio station. It hasn't been used in years, but I'm sure the disc still works. Okay, then what are you gonna say? I have no clue, but I guess we'll find out. Let me know when it's ready. You're good. Attention all Christians. My name is Chris Davis, and I am just like most of you. Ever since the government has made Christianity punishable by death, I have been a renegade. Every day trying to survive, trying to figure out how we got to this point. Then I figured it out. All we have to do is look to the past and see how our ancestors won their freedom of religion in the first place. They weren't afraid to fight and die for what they believed in. They weren't afraid to make their voices heard. Somewhere along the line, we lost ourselves. We started worrying about the clothes that we wear or what music we listen to, when we should be standing on God's word alone. We let the world silence us from standing on what we believe in by calling us hateful or rude. Tonight, we stop hiding and live out loud. Okay, Shakespeare. Let's get to that dish. Wow. A free commercial. It is $10 in the bookstore. It is a really well-done movie. It's the best we've ever done, and we, we do sell it in the bookstore for $10. And if you do buy it, you are supporting our church and our movie production ministry. But that's not why I showed it. I did show it, though, to illustrate something. He said, we need to stop hiding and live out loud. Live out loud. I think many of us need to ask ourselves the question, is our faith more hidden than it is seen? Are we more isolated in our little worlds, our little Christian worlds, our, our, our little safe zones? Or are we out sharing the faith that we have in Jesus Christ with others unashamedly? Even though there's persecution, it's more uncomfortable. It's not popular. I don't think the answer is to hide, to flee, 
But notice also in verse number 1 and 2, it says here, Flee as a bird to your mouth, and then he hears another voice say, For lo, the wicked bend their bow. The wicked, the enemy. Do you see that? The enemy is now bending a bow towards who? Look, look at this. They make ready their arrow upon the string that they may privily shoot at who? At us, the upright. The ESV says, and I think it's a, a, little, a little better translation, it says shoot in the dark at the upright. I think that's a little better, in the dark. I think it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's no question about it. Men love darkness rather than light. It seems as if so many Christians are kind of living in this world all by themselves. It, it's getting dark, and we're hovering in the cave. We're getting quiet. And we don't realize that's exactly where the devil wants us so he can take his bow and arrow and fire it right at the upright. And shoot us and fight us. And what we tend to do as believers is if we're not careful, is we think, well, the answer is to fight back. Let's get our fist up. They hate us, so let's hate them. So we begin to yell and scream. And I've heard preachers uh, get up and, 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 and not preach against sin, but preach against people. I mean, call them names and, 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 and say things about them. And, it, and, and, and it's just unbelievable sometimes the hatred that Christians can have. And we get our, our dukes up and we feel like fighting is the answer. Are we supposed to fight? A lot of Christians are responding that way. The world wants us to fight, so let's fight. I would never question. I mean, even based on Romans 14, 5, let every man be persuaded in his own heart. I, I would never, based on that verse and that scriptural principle, question a man's faith, his desire to stand for what's right if he's convinced in his own heart. If he feels like Jesus would get angry and mad and fight and throw a punch and even walk back and forth with a sign in his hand, then do exactly what you think Jesus would do. If you're convinced, if you're persuaded, Romans 14, 5, in your own heart, that's what you should do. I would not fight you. I would pray for you. But personally, I don't think that's really what we're supposed to do, at least me. Not to flee, not necessarily to fight, so back to the title of the message this morning. What are we supposed to do? Not run away. We're not supposed to go Rambo. <laughs> so in our effort to fight the culture, how are we representing Jesus Christ? What are we supposed to do? Well, the purpose of this series is this. I say we are to go back to our foundations. For if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? What's the answer to that rhetorical question? I'm asking you. What are the righteous to do? The answer is nothing. What can we do? Nothing. If the foundations are destroyed, are you listening? What can we do? If we lose the foundations, church, we lose everything. Because if the foundations be destroyed, there is nothing we can do. There is nothing after the destruction of the foundations. Nothing. I remember when we were building our, our dormitory out here, the college dormitory about 10 years ago. I, I remember one of the most amazing things, and I'm not a builder, and I'm still not a builder. And I know we have some builders, and you could probably say a whole lot more about this than I could. And make this illustration 10 times better than I could, but... I do remember one thing. 
I remember for months, it looked like nothing was happening. They would just survey and then they would, then they would form and dig and pour. And it took forever. It's like for a long time, all you're really seeing is a few boards sticking out of the ground and, 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 and things inside the ground. It didn't look real pretty. It just took forever. It took a long time. But then it started going up. And it was like every morning I drove by, I'm like, man, it's going up so fast. It went up quick, but it took forever to get up because they were strengthening foundations. Matthew chapter 7 speaks about that in verse 24. talks about this house that's built on a sand. And house that's built on sand, the winds come, the floods come, the rain comes, and, and, and the house falls. But whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I'm going to liken him to a wise man. He builds his house upon a rock. And the, and the same rains come, and the floods come, and the winds come. Listen, and the moral decline comes, and the persecution comes, and the criticism comes, and the nastiness comes, and, 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 the, and the debauchery comes. It all comes, but this man, because he built his house upon the rock, he was still standing because his foundation was Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's coming in two weeks. We're going to talk about that, that scripture in two weeks. The foundation of Jesus. If your life is founded upon Jesus Christ, it does not matter what happens in the culture. Your life is not going down. If your family is built upon the rock of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what happens in culture. Your family is not going down. If your church is built upon the rock of Jesus Christ, if you strengthen that foundation, it doesn't matter what happens in the culture. Your church is not going down. Strengthen your foundations. So what are the foundations? I don't have time this morning to preach each one of these, but just... Put them all on the screen there, Ken. The Bible, fill in these blanks. The gospel, the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the resurrection. The purpose of this morning's message was not to preach each one of these foundations. Next week, we're going to talk about that first one for sure, the Bible. And, and you know, sometimes I think we can get kind of bored at subjects like that. Like, oh, okay, so you're going to take the Bible and preach about the Bible. That's kind of weird. I think I'll stay home. You see, what you don't understand is there is no greater subject to preach on than the Bible. The Bible is the word. The word is Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is the rock. <laughs> and, and, and if you know me, you know I've never made any subject boring. So don't miss church next week. As we talk about this foundation, the Bible. So what do we do? Well, we've asked the question, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And the answer is nothing. So let's ask this question. If the foundations are strengthened what can the wicked do? Same answer. Nothing. Nothing. So what we need to do is strengthen our foundation. Strengthen it. Make it strong. Church, I come to you today on behalf of our church leadership, on behalf of, I believe, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, on behalf of Susan who, who would not leave a mat for three months. 
three months. You know why? Because that little girl had a foundation. She would not be moved. I come to you today on behalf of every persecuted Christian who's gotten their heads chopped off this year. Severed from their bodies because they would not denounce the name of Jesus. On their name, on their behalf, I come to you and I say, is it worth it? Is the cause worth it to strengthen our foundation? To become followers of Jesus Christ as we end the year 2016? We're just 13 weeks away. We're coming into this season of thanksgiving and we're going to be thankful and I can't wait and we're coming into the season of the birth of Jesus Christ and it's going to be wonderful and we're going to have lights and and we're going to have trees and we're going to sing merry music and I'm not against any of that but while I still have a few more weeks before we enter that season as we are in a very stormy political season as we are in a chaotic time in our world well just this week our nation's cities are being shocked I mean death malls murders craziness Because we do not know even what our nation will be like or if there will even be an election or martial law or chaos in the streets. We don't know. Don't change your channel too quickly. We're living in perilous times. What are we to do? Hide? Fight? Or strengthen our foundation? In Jesus Christ, in the Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and sharing with others the love of God. You know, maybe the smartest person in this room today is a seven-year-old girl named Kinley. Maybe Kinley's got it. Maybe we need to go back to the faith of a little child who says, I got my ticket, you got yours? Her daddy, Jesse, told me she's been telling all our friends at school about what she did. When's the last time you told somebody? You too prideful to learn from a seven-year-old girl? You You too theologically deep to admit that you're under deep Holy Ghost conviction? Because you know the Bible, right? Knowledge puffeth up. What we need is to share the truth of Jesus Christ, his love for others, what he's done for them on the cross. Strengthen your foundation in the Lord. Let's bow for prayer. With every head bowed and every